Hi, welcome to Religion and Story, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss anything and everything, but always from a Christian perspective. I have myself and the other Crouch Brothers with me today, and for today's podcast, we are going to be discussing the role of elders in a church congregation. So we kind of talked about it uh, last podcast about the role of the minister, but how should the role of an elder kind of interact or interface with the uh, the minister? What do you guys think about that? Well, uh, I already laid out all my cards at the end of the last podcast, and even though y'all couldn't see me, I was getting a little choked up. I obviously think that the the role of the minister is a very special position within the church, something that God has ordained. The minister deserves much more authority and clout than they are typically given in the Church of Christ. Though I wouldn't go as far as many other denominations go to have your minister be your pastor and maybe have sole control of the congregation. But I think there needs to certainly be a little bit more quality there in those two roles and often a lot of deferment from the eldership, because while we said at the beginning, the elders should be very knowledgeable and able to teach, but they often aren't. And it's aggravating to me to see elders who aren't as knowledgeable as the minister commanding the minister in ways that don't stay in line with the gospel's prophetic vision. I disagree with Daniel in that I think that if we were to be the most like the first century church that we can, that elders should be the spiritual guides of the congregation, both on terms of doctrine and how the, how the church should function. And I actually believe that that would lead us to having, to have one of the elders be the preaching minister, perhaps even rotating within the eldership. It's my understanding of scripture that it, it was the elders who were leading from the beginning. Not well, not I'm going to interrupt you and let you continue, but I'll, I just want to say ahead. that what I said does not disallow the minister from being an elder. But go ahead. Okay. No, that, that's well said. And I want to go the other way and also say that a minister doesn't have to be an elder. You know, there, there is room for congregations that have younger ministers. However, I think when an eldership and in a ministry team are working so closely together, that's when it is best served. And I think that that can, that can happen at its best for a church where the, the preaching minister is also an elder uh, because that shows the respect that the congregation has for them. Now, of course, that same congregation needs to be careful that not too much power gets vested in one individual. That's where humility is required of all elders, especially those with that seem to have the most public power. I think you both have very strong points. Well, I think you actually both agree. Let me start by saying that the ministers can be separate and apart from the elders, not the Lord's. I thought that was just a correction. <laughs> so, yeah, the, uh, the ministers can be separate from the elders. The elders clearly have qualifications that they have to line up towards. Uh, I guess if there were qualifications for uh, ministers, well, first of all, we're all ministers. Uh, Paul 
uh, make right. it very clear that we have uh, ministries. And so if you want to be like the first century church, like Michael was saying, then, yeah, the elders need to uh, be able to fill that role. Like the scripture says, they must be able to. Does that make them make it mandatory? No, but if they can, it would be better. But let me ask, what one qualification do each of us as individuals feel like we most need to work on? And I think this would also be a good challenge for our listeners to to look at this list as a list for what every Christian should be like and to to talk about how we could work on one specific qualification. I'll go ahead and say, I, I mentioned at the very beginning that elders are called the guardians of orthodoxy and the truth. And in the for the sake of intellectual enlightenment sometimes, I, I can let that fall by the wayside. And that's certainly something that I need to work on. And I think in some congregations that there are, there are certainly elders that should be considering that as well. Though that is probably less common among typical elderships. Uh, I think since Timothy 3, the blanket statement that he gives there is must be above reproach or beyond reproach, uh, blameless. And that from there, then you get into the rest of them. Do you all think that that first statement there is kind of like a blanket statement? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, when you are above reproach, a lot of these other things will be covered. So, because to answer your question, I think that I'm not necessarily above reproach in a lot of ways, but that doesn't necessarily define the sin. I guess uh, my main issue that I need to work on would be uh, self-controlled or prudent. I think for, for me, I am contentious. Uh, I'm not. I'm not necessarily someone that gets angry very quickly. You know, my temper doesn't flare up, but I often like having arguments with people. It, it gives me energy, and I think uh, a good elder. Uh, listens first is you know quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry as James would put it and I think if if I was to uh, to become an elder or or if I ever do want to become an elder that's certainly something that I need to work on that or keeping your daughter under control oh, oh <laughs> for any listeners that don't know uh, his daughter is less than a year old <laughs> like that's not even funny we feel bad for you, Michael. What are these guys talking about? They're crazy. Um, no, but we all have, 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 have any good elder stories? Not good ones. <laughs> <laughs> if there's an elder uh, or an elder story, if if it's a story, usually it, I don't think that there's very many elder stories that have a good connotation. <laughs> You said, "Who's my favorite elder?" Though, yeah, yeah, I was, that, I was, I was going to reframe the question: Who is your favorite elder, and why? I'm afraid if I say mine, it'll take everyone else's. But um, Michael, go, go. Why don't you start us off, Michael? So, uh, my favorite elder is uh, Kent Smith, uh, who was an elder oh, at our, our home congregation back at uh, Southside Church of Christ in Fort Worth. Um, I well before he was ever an elder, he was a very good teacher and built up respect among the congregation. But from the stories that I've heard about how he handled disagreements or sensitive issues, even though uh, he commanded authority from the congregation, he was always uh, someone who was loving and wanted to hear both sides. 
but at the same time was was firm and valued uh, the unity of the congregation above all, respecting the word. And I I have often heard of the the good things that he he continues to do for the congregation in Fort Worth. So I'll, I'll start with that story. Pretty much a cop out answer, but okay. How is that? That's a Everyone knows Kent Smith, best elder. Uh, I'll go uh, say one because I know neither one of y'all would uh, pick this person because I'm pretty sure they were appointed to their position after both of y'all graduated um, and no longer were attending Southside. But Brent Davis, he is an elder at Southside to Christ, like Michael was saying, home congregation back home in Fort Worth. Brent buys a lot of the traits that I think can oftentimes be lost by elders um, or people when they become an elder, and that is humility and meekness and, as best as I can tell, patience. He seems to embody those traits that Michael was talking about uh, for Kent Smith, that someone who's willing to dialogue and discuss for the betterment of the congregation, not uh, becoming angry, but always looking to shepherd the flock. Well, my favorite elder is Peter. Maybe you've heard of him. He was in the Bible. <laughs> is that a cop-out answer? That's, that's a good answer, if you can back it up. Um, no, I, I might have to uh, second Kent Smith on the uh, favorite elder, how he lines up with uh, each of the qualifications. Uh, no favoritism. Prudent, I believe Michael was hinting at that. I, I like how he only has one wife. I found that very respectable of him. He's very temperate. <laughs> Good uh, job, Joan. Also hospitable. Uh, teaching is probably one of his strong points. Uh, and just his knowledge of the scripture, I, I think re- really, uh, I mean, that's your foundation right there, your knowledge of the scripture. And it, if you're filling your life and your mind with God's word, then it's going to be a nutritional value to the rest of your body, uh, spiritually, not physically. And to all the other elders that we did not mention, it's not because you're not a good elder, it's just because you're not our favorite. So Nobody said Jim Crouch. <laughs> no, we did not. Actually, so our dad, Jim Crouch, often had people come up to him and say that they appreciated his yeah. work as an elder. So I, I think that uh, there were many people who uh, would have said him. So At least we heard about it every time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is a now, if, there, if there was something that, I mean, because we were children of an elder in the church, and at least my viewpoint as from from that perspective is that my father he wasn't the necessarily the most gung ho person when it came to unity he was very convicted in his ways which is i think just as essential as the unity not to compromise the truth uh sure. but that was Agreed. not one that is not one character trait that i picked up from uh, my father's example uh let's take a quick look at first timothy 3 as compared to titus 1 verses 5 through 9 and just put the big picture together if you look at both of them they have a lot of the exact same qualifications uh for elders 
And it almost, they're so similar. You got to think that that was almost like Paul had sat down, maybe had to decide these are the things so important so that they put them in two letters. For example, not addicted to wine or being a drunkard is mentioned in both of them. At what point was is that a problem for an elder? So I would they're say, getting drunk. Right. As Daniel said there, also, if uh, if the congregation knows them as a drinker or as a drunkard, and that is an identifying characteristic, I would say that that is, uh, you know, is, is one time of being a drunkard too much. If you did it when you were 25 years old, I, I would say there's forgiveness there. But if that is the reputation of the person, then that is a disqualifying act. So a, a couple things, and I think it applies to every single qualification. One, at what point is are you not beyond or above reproach? And two, are you living up to the other the other commands that God has given us in Scripture regarding the same subject? For example, it's about do not go to drinking parties. That, I mean, you're not necessarily a drunkard, but it's a different commandment regarding the use of alcohol. And if that is something that you're not living up to, does not being above reproach then come into play there? That's a that's a good question. I would think that any any sin, even one that's not on this list, that an elder is known for, his reputation is built on it, and he is unrepentant for it, is a disqualifying act. Uh, so I, I would say that, Stephen, you're right to couple those two scriptures together. Now, does that mean that an elder can't go any play, any, to any party where there's alcohol present? Maybe we need to have another discussion there, but um, elders should guard their reputation with all that they have because that is, you know, that is, uh, they are a representative of the church. So they, they should be extra aware of those issues. And what about having children who are believers? And uh, most footnotes for that verse in Titus also say that the children must also be faithful. So I, I know that this issue has popped up in several congregations. It's not just unique to the one that I actually experienced growing up. Must the elders' children be baptized believers? And to what spiritual level must they be at? So I, I won't name any names, but um, I I have attended a congregation where where uh, several of the elders uh, did not follow the traditional example of having baptized children, baptized faithful children at that. Um, I think that I, I think the most liberal interpretation that I'm I'm willing to allow is to say that. Um, they that the elder should have at least raised his children in the church that they remained faithful as long as they were under his control and once the child leaves the household you know uh, the elder is not necessarily responsible for the actions of his children however there is predictive value in um you should be able to see that a good elder will more than likely have children that remain faithful. Now, there's plenty of examples where a wonderful Christian servant has had children that have gone astray. But I, I think that most often we'll see that those who have managed their households well 
will not have that problem. <laughs> and I, I think you hit on something with your last comment there, Michael, that if the the children have gone on and they're then adults at that point, if the let's say the elder still has their children, whether they're of adult age or still in their adolescent years, if the the children are not behaving and are not living a Christian lifestyle, then the household is not in order. And that we can see specifically is one of the qualifications that elders are supposed to live up to. I I think you have, you'd be kidding yourself to say that the clearest interpretation of that passage is simply faithful children, and that doesn't... Um, it doesn't lend itself towards in the home versus having gone off and started their own family. Just faithful children, period. But I would also say that I'd be eyeing of the opinion that you can have a more liberal, not interpretation, but implementation of that passage that does allow for what y'all just said, uh, faithful children in the home upon being appointed to the eldership. And I'd even go as far as to say I think even more um, exception can be made for those individuals who show an exceptional potential for being an elder, despite a shortcoming in that. And the book, the blog post that I referenced just a second ago that I said I have on the topic was actually sort of contrary to what was being said in the discussion. Well, I, I think every church wants to have elders that meet the most conservative, stringent qualifications. Do we often end up with people who fall short on one, maybe two? And uh, we often will even show favoritism towards one who might love money a little too much, uh, but another one who is a drunkard has no chance at all. I think that we as churches should look to apply the word across the board that we convict and encourage our men to live their entire lives worthy of this calling that is given to them, not only just by Paul, but by the Holy Spirit itself, by God. And this list is the one to live by. One of many lists in the scripture. Another thing that we see in both lists in Timothy and Titus is that the elder must be quick-tempered or not easily angered. I guess that really contributes itself to being able to get along with the other elders if there are plural elders in the congregation. Well, this has been a good discussion. Um, I'm glad we, we didn't necessarily cover how to get rid of an elder. Uh, well, I'll begin searching the scripture. To... <laughs> all right. But in all seriousness, we, I'm glad we get feedback from our listeners and that they hold us accountable. We do want to... Uh, uh, make an apology for something that was said in our very first podcast re- regarding uh, divorce. Basically, the comment was that people that are going through divorce were not spiritually where they needed to be, and we know that there are two parties involved in every divorce, and just because one person is not uh, in their right spiritual state does not mean that the other person didn't do everything that they could to make their marriage work the way that God and Christ wanted it to be. So we apologize for the generalization, and we hope that we did not offend anybody else. But that's all we have for today's podcast. And we've got big news. We do now have a Twitter handle. It is at religion in, the le- that's the letter N, story. 
at Religion in Story. So shoot us all your comments, all your frustrations, and anything that you would like as a topic on our podcast, and we'll favorite it, retweet it, and get back to you. Uh, we also have our blog, which is www.religionandstory.blogspot.com. Check out our blog, hit us up on Twitter, and we will see you next time.